Good morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you for your presence in the midst of our lives, in the midst of all of the um, life as usual, all of the interruptions, disruptions. Um, Lord, thank you for your power and your presence, even in the midst of them. Thank you for um, the disruption of your Son breaking into our world. Thank you for the eternal Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord Jesus, be manifest in our midst right now during this hour. Reveal yourself to us in all your great love for us, we ask. In your name. Amen. So I've been doing, I do these unintentional series, so if you missed the first part of the series, it's okay. They're each standalone, but I like to group things in sequences. It helps my mind that way. Um, so for the four Sundays of Advent, I've been looking at four different hymns. Um, the first three Sundays I looked at Advent hymns, and I was encouraged this fourth Sunday to look at a Christmas carol. So I picked a Christmas carol. It's not Believe it or not, it's my, not my favorite Christmas carol, but I love all of them. But this one, um, there are certain parts of it that just get stuck in my head. And so I think it's especially appropriate that now that we've had our Christmas pageant, now that Christmas is on its way this week, we can look at O Little Town of Bethlehem. So O Little Town of Bethlehem was written by Phillips Brooks in 1868. Phillips Brooks was a great Episcopalian. He grew up Unitarian and then um, was came to you know came to ministry in the Episcopal Church. And he was known as a wonderful preacher in the Boston area. He had a very long rectorship at a large parish there, Trinity Church in Copley Square, which is actually a place where I used to, we used to have when I was in high school in Boston. We used to have youth group retreats there, and you would sleep on the pews they let us sleep in the nave and you'd wake up I'll never forget waking up to see the sun shining in through the stained glass windows um, so Phillips Brooks was a great preacher he was known for his um, it, the spoken word and how good he was at that he um, though he wrote this hymn in 1868 while he was a very young man still in ministry in Philadelphia so he had a church there in Philadelphia after he'd been to seminary and Lewis H. Redner was his Sunday school um, superintendent, as well as the organist for his church there in Philadelphia. And so the night before, it was, they were trying to find something for the children to sing on um, Christmas Eve. And, uh, and Phillips Brooks wrote this hymn with that in mind, even though he got the idea for it a few years before. And I'll tell you some more about that later. But Lewis Redner had no tune for it at, right up until the night before the performance or the production in church, not a performance, but worship. Um, and so Renner went to sleep, and he was woken up in the middle of the night, and finally he'd gotten the melody in his brain. And so he got up, and he wrote it down for um, the children to be able to sing the next morning. And that's a lot of hymns are written for children to sing. And so our first, I'm going to, we'll listen to a couple different iterations of... Um, what's that? <laughs> Sadia? It said 160. Oh, it did. You're right. Wait, where? That couldn't be right. No, he definitely wasn't that old. That's so funny. It says it on your sheet, too, because I cut and pasted. So thank you for pointing that out. Math is not my strong suit. Thank you for that, Ron. Well, we can all laugh. He was, he was brilliant, and he was so old. Okay, um, <laughs> he lived almost eternally. Okay, um, O Little Town of Bethlehem, it was written for children, and again, the hymns, the hymns speak to us as children. There's something about a hymn that makes you remember the words 
um, the meter, the rhyme, if you sing something, it lodges in your brain. Unfortunately for me, one of the ones that lodges in my brain is Jingle Bell Rock. So <laughs> all I have to do is hear it once, and that is guaranteed to happen if I go Christmas shopping. And I am singing it all around the house, and it's driving me nuts. Well, that's the point with hymns and carols as well, is that they're going to get into our brains, and then we'll be singing them. And when we start singing the truth about who God is and what he's done for us, it reinforces it in our hearts. We believe it more and more. Our hearts are open to it. So hymns and carols are wonderful things that God has given us. And that's what Phillips Brooks did as a child. He learned his hymns. That might be how he was so drawn to write this particular carol. We won't listen to this full one. It seemed right that we watched this with children singing it, or listen to it with children singing it. version the second version that's the other tune that we have in our hymnal and that's often the one that we sing here at the advent that one was not the original tune that went with it but it's done by Ralph Vaughn Williams so you can see it's a little more sophisticated musically and it's beautiful but there is something about the simplicity of the first tune especially hearing the children sing it so let's look now we'll um we're going to read that first even though we've just heard it sung twice let's read that first verse together I think if you all have a sheet, if you don't have a sheet, if you can see the theme screen, go ahead and read it on the screen. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We hear this unknowing reception. The little town is sleeping, not necessarily aware of what is being born in the town that night. Sometimes salvation comes and we realize it afterwards, that God is working something out for our benefit and we are not always at the time aware of it. And that's a little bit of what um, Kenneth Schneider was talking about in his sermon today. Sometimes the disruptions are things that God is working in and through, even though we're not aware of it. Well, here, the sleeping town is not yet aware that its salvation has come. And there's something about um, this town 
that oh little town, the littleness of the town is really important. Phillips Brooks gets this, and he's alluding in that to these verses from Micah, where there's a prophecy about Bethlehem, and I'll read it to you. It's also up here for you to see. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. We hear in this prophecy through Micah, Micah lived after King David. And we know that King David was born in Bethlehem. He was from Bethlehem, and he was from this little tiny clan of Judah. Not a clan that you would choose if you were trying to be a world power. If you were trying to dominate the whole world in strength and might, you would choose the biggest clan, right? You'd choose the biggest, tallest man from the biggest clan. Well, remember that when David is anointed, um, the Lord says to the prophet Samuel, he says, no, uh, the Lord looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. And David is brought in from the fields, and he is anointed to be king. So to his clan itself, though it is little, it will be the one that will be um, the origin of the ruler in Israel, not just David, but great David's greater son, the one whose kingdom will be everlasting. So this is a prophecy that points forward to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one who would be born to bring peace on earth. What a great prophecy and preparation. Well, what are we? Well, little, Bethlehem is little, and we too are little. Um, in this hymn, when it talks about Bethlehem, we are Bethlehem. We're not the clan in Judah, but we, the people of God, as humanity, waiting and longing to receive our Savior, we are little. We are not necessarily um, ones to be looked at and said, you deserve a great king. Um, we're going to do something great with you. That's not what God is saying to us. He's saying, no, you're little, but it's okay. I'm working your salvation. This idea of being little, being human in the face of God's greatness, I think it's also, we see it throughout Scripture in this idea that we as human beings are dust. All we are is dust in the wind, right? That moaning rock song, all we are is dust in the wind. Well, that phrase, goes all throughout Scripture, not exactly, but um, at the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, they are created, God says they are good, and then they take and eat the forbidden fruit, and sin enters the world, and creation will never be the same, will not be the same until there is a Redeemer, to redeem it and restore it, not just to its former glory, but to even greater glory. But we see this need for the Redeemer in this line from Genesis 3. After they've eaten of the fruit, the Lord says to Adam, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From the moment they sinned, death entered the world. For out of it, out of the ground you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Um, this idea of being dust, you see it all throughout the wisdom literature in the Bible, in the book of Job, in the Psalms. In Ecclesiastes, um, remember that you have made me like clay, says Job to the Lord, and will you return me to the dust? Um, in Psalm 104, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. Humanity is dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. 
in Ecclesiastes all go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. Not to be depressing, but it's true. Life is fragile. Life is precious. Uh, Life can be so quickly and easily taken from us. I think we're reminded of that um, in a new way this week. Um, Just reading through the prayers this morning, so many have died. Every week there's a list. Um, Every week someone in our church is mourning. Um, And this week, you know, with what happened with the Smalley family, so life is so fragile. I was very sad about it. I've been sad all weekend, just longing and mourning for my friend Paula. And, um, And yet, in the midst of that, the Lord has protected and preserved her life, which is pretty much a miracle when you're walking down the street and a car hits you out of the blue. So um, life is fragile. We are reminded of that every week, really. Um, we are reminded that uh, we are human. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. This idea of being dust is not just about our mortality, but also about our sinfulness. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment says the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. (coughs) That idea of being under the judgment of God, feeling hemmed in, hampered as a result of our sin. But then there's hope. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. This idea of being clay is very close to the idea of being dust. Because clay you make by just mixing some water with the dust, right? Out of the ground. We are clay, and the Lord is the potter. Our lives are in his hand. And this um, appeal to his graciousness at the very end, recognizing our sin, recognizing our iniquity, and yet saying, Lord, you are Lord over all. You created us. We are not in control, and we recognize that. All of these other, um, <coughs> other parts of Scripture that mention clay talk about this, that um, what can we do? We are not in control. God is the potter. We are just the stuff in his hand. Can we say to the potter, um, as it says in Isaiah 45, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. <coughs> Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or, your work has no handles? <laughs> Isn't that an interesting part of Isaiah chapter 45, looking at this idea that we're clay? I like to go- tell God my plans, and he very often laughs at me. Um, I very often will pray, well, this is the way it would look really good for me. Um, if you would just do this, that would be great. Um, and the Lord does not always do what we want him to do. And when we pray in that way... I think he smiles at us and kind of twinkles, but I think if we live our lives in the expectation that we are going to get from him exactly what we think we deserve, um, that we can just put money into a vending machine and out pops exactly what we want, the, our answer to prayer, we will be sorely disappointed. Um, it, is, uh, it, it is pride to say to God, your work has no handle. Why haven't you done it like this? This is how I would have done it. Well, we're not the potter, are we? We are the clay. I also think of the, so um, we are mortal, we are sinful, we are broken as a part of creation, we are little. I also am palpably aware of being so not perfect. 
Um, whenever I've hosted people at my own home, I have to realize I'm not Martha Stewart. <laughs> I would like to be, I, I have this vision of myself as Martha Stewart, and that is just all wrong. And so then as I end up getting to, um, to the moment when people will arrive at my house, there's this panic in my heart because all of the things are just not quite as right as I imagined and envisioned them to be. And I think, oh no, I don't measure up. I'm not Martha Stewart. And the Lord is often trying to break through to me in the midst of that. It is, it is okay. No, you're right. You're not Martha Stewart. You are clay. You're dust. You're little, and that's okay. I think of this, too, with um, sermons and papers. And when I was a child in writing, having to write for school, my mother, who's a writer, always had really good advice. You know, describe the pencil as though someone has never seen a pencil before. But I just remember hours upon hours of anguish and tearing out hair, sitting around the kitchen table, trying to actually get words on the paper. And if you've ever tried to write something or ever had writer's block, you know that that's the case. Well, my mother gave great advice. She's a writer, actually a published writer. And she said to me then when I was in high school, and I, it stays with me because I think it's true of sermons as well. She says, good papers are never finished, only abandoned. <laughs> I think it's true of sermons as well. Good sermons are never finished, only abandoned. I will keep working and working and working and working and changing and wanting it to be better than it is. And at a point, I need to just abandon it and say to the Lord, I'm clay, and you're the potter. You go with it. We are Bethlehem. We are little. We are clay. We are dust. And there is hope for us. There's hope in the midst of that truth. In the midst of the darkness, the light shines. And we hear this just in that first verse. Don't you see little Bethlehem quiet, dark, asleep, weak, powerless, dust? and clay and the Lord breaks in the light shines in the midst of those dark streets the everlasting light and there Phillips Brooks is alluding to Revelation chapter 22 where the new Jerusalem has descended from heaven to earth and there um, John sees a vision he says does anybody want to read this anybody feel like they want to read today I get to talk all day long Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on the on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That was great. Thank you. There's no coincidence that Jesus Christ is born at night. We heard the, the angels going to the shepherds who watch their flocks by night. In the midst of the darkness, the light breaks forth and the light shines at the very depths of our human brokenness. Um, in this recognition, even at the moments where we know that we are clay, that life is fragile, where we know that we have sinned, where our lives have been disrupted, and we are not really happy with the outcome, where we know we are not in control 
There, even in the midst of darkness, the light shines. There is hope for us. And this promise and revelation will be fulfilled upon Jesus' second return. The light has come in his first coming, and the darkness will not overcome it. And we know that one day, the night will be completely gone. There will be no more night. The light will shine 24-7. Let's say together this verse, this second verse. We didn't get to hear them sing it, but that's okay. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. We hear still this quiet sleepiness of the town and the worship in heaven and on high. Praises are being sung to God the King, and we hear this pronouncement that the angel pronounced to the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we know that our peace is brought through Jesus Christ, as St. Paul says in his letter to the Colossians. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, in order to make reconciliation in his body of flesh by his death. The eternal word must first become flesh. And so the reconciliation that Jesus works for us at the cross is present even there at the manger. In being willing to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, Jesus is deigning also to die and to die for us. This gift is given in this way. Let's read this third verse. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. We have um, here this, you feel almost as you're singing it, as you're hearing these words, don't you feel like you're looking out over Bethlehem? Looking down on Bethlehem, a God's eye view, a bird's eye view, looking down there on the quiet city. Well, that's how Phillips Brooks got the idea to write this song in the first place. He had been, three years before he wrote it, he had been in the Holy Land on Christmas Eve, and he had been traveling from Jerusalem to Bethlehem by horse. And he was up high, about to go down the hill and go to a worship service at midnight. And while he was up there looking out over the little town, he got the first few lyrics of this song. Can you hear it in the way it's sung, in the way it's said? How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. You hear this descent of the gift of God, this quiet descent. Um, there is in John's Gospel this language of descent. Someone want to read these verses from the first chapter of John's Gospel? Anyone who can see it? Go, Catherine, you look like you're willing. In the beginning was the word. Him was life, and 
Thank you, Catherine. You hear this descent. You hear this transcendence. Jesus Christ is God himself who exists outside of creation. Jesus Christ himself is the potter, and he deigns to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. The potter has decided to make himself into clay in order to redeem us, the clay. And so I've chosen for this next version of the hymn something. I love this version of a little town of Bethlehem because it sounds otherworldly. Her voice sounds ethereal and transcendent, breaking in from outside. Her voice gives me those kind of shivers where the hair stands up on the back of your neck.
right? Yeah. Transcendent. She has a way with her voice. Yeah, is it Sarah McLachlan? That is Sarah McLachlan, yeah. Um, so you hear it in that, even just in the quality of her voice. You hear the transcendence. You hear the descent. You hear in it um, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, and you hear in it also his divine humility. I love this passage from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul is um, telling the Philippians that they ought to have the mind of Christ in themselves. And the mind of Christ is not necessarily, he does talk later on about behavior, but the mind is of Christ is not about behavior, but here he's talking about humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. (coughs) We hear his divine humility that he would enter into the dust to redeem us from the dust. You hear this gift, this descent, and in this verse, especially, how silently, how silently, I always think of snowfall. Being from the north, and um, I think Phillips Brooks, both in Philadelphia and in Boston, I'm sure he saw many snows. And there's something about a big snow. When it starts falling, you want to get outside. I love getting outside. in the middle. I must be crazy, right? Getting outside in the middle of the snow because everything is brighter. Even though it's dark out and it's nighttime, everything gets brighter because of the snow. And everything gets muffled and hushed because it's all covered in this blanket of snow. And then you get to see the snowflakes just gently come down and cover the earth. This descent of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem, deigning to be made man, emptying himself of all that that is his by right, is a gracious gift given silently, given without required response. God does not make us respond. He just gives. And we, um, we, by grace, respond. Um, the door often is broken down for us. Um, the door often is kicked down by him. Um, and yet it also is a silent coming, a gracious coming. Let's say um, this uh, fourth verse here together. Where children, pure and happy, pray to the blessed child. Where misery cries out to thee, O son of the mother mild where maturity stands watching and faith holds wide the door. The dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Because Jesus Christ is himself indeed our... um, He is Emmanuel, as it's going to say in the next verse. He is God with us, come down to be among us. He is God for us in the cross on Calvary. And um, so we know that... Christmas comes through his being with us, breaking into creation, and for us, atoning for our guilt. And that misery, crying out to thee, O son of the mother mild, our misery, in the midst of our misery, our dustliness, our clay hearts, um, God breaks through. Christmas comes, the dark night wakes, and the glory breaks. And any charity that we have, it comes from having received the charity that God has given in Jesus Christ. Okay, let's um, say together the last verse, verse 5. <laughs> o holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. 
be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. This is my favorite verse. And the first two lines of this verse are really a prayer, aren't they? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. There's a phrase, there are verses in um, 2 Corinthians from St. Paul. And he talks about this clay aspect of us, this way in which we're dust, um, this way in which we're weak, we're little, we're from dust. Um, We know our imperfections all too well. We see our sins. And yet, Christ, the light of the world, has been born into our midst. And our hearts are like vessels of clay into which the light, as we receive Jesus, the light shines. And the light shines through the cracks. The light shines out through even our brokenness, through our dustiness. The eternal light shines out because God in his glory will make his power known um, even through us, even through broken vessels that we are. So as St. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Paul was saying that about the sufferings he endured. We might not endure suffering specifically for the name of Jesus, but we know that throughout the world there are Christians who do. Um, And so as we read that, we remember through this hymn, through this passage, through the light born in our midst, we are Bethlehem. We are that little town of Bethlehem. That's what Philip Brooks meant. Cast out our sin and enter in. That was the first part of the song that he got. That was the prayer that the Lord gave him while he was looking out over the real town of Bethlehem. He was saying, I'm Bethlehem. I need you, Lord Jesus. We are clay We are dust. And when we say this, we say, I am dust. Whatever it is that we are acknowledging, whether it's sin or whether it's some kind of other failure, imperfection, what we're saying um, is that we are ready to receive. We're saying, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. When we say we are dust, we are children then who receive the great gift falling silently from above like children. Glass ready to open to tear through the grift on Christmas morning. What a gift it is to get to be with children on Christmas morning and see them rush through all sorts of presents in speed. They know that they're not going to say, no, I don't really want this gift. No, I don't really need it. They are going to tear through the presents. And that's one of the things that we do as we receive. We, when we say, yeah, I need this. Yeah, I want this. We're glad to receive. We are open to receive. Um, so oh, as we listen to this last version of the song, you're going to laugh. Because, I hope, because I've chosen um, for the last version of the song something that's very clay. Uh, Someone singing who you can't help but say, that's a human being. 
that is not an ethereal voice. It is kind of an ethereal voice. But he is a jar of clay. <laughs> and we are jars of clay. So whatever it is right now, as you listen to this song, whatever it is that you know, um, what is it in your life right now that helps you realize, that makes you realize, I'm clay. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I'm mortal. I need Jesus. Think about that as we listen to this, and then I'll pray. Oh, I did. <laughs> but I'll say it for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, even as we walk through this season of light, knowing the darkness in our world around us, we are perplexed, but we're not shaken. We know that you are our hope, that even in the midst of tragedy, accidents, um, death, our uh, persistent sin, the things that we find ourselves doing, and we say, did I just do that again? Lord, in the midst of all of this, dust and clay and darkness we trust your light we know that you have broken in in jesus christ and we trust that one day all will be made right and so right now we ask O holy child of bethlehem descend to us we pray cast out our sin and enter in be born in us today amen <laughs> 